You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and today we're talking about emotional care in marriage and in life. I am so grateful I get to host Elizabeth Bennett from Enneagram Life today. And I know some of you book lovers and J-Knights out there are thinking about Elizabeth Bennett from Pride and Prejudice, but this Elizabeth Bennett is more like Marianne from Sense and Sensibility. If you're a Jane Austen fan, you might know what I'm talking about there. Even if you don't like Jane Austen, I promise we're good. So she is a romantic and she is such a gift to have on our show today because as an Enneagram 4 leaning towards the five wing, Elizabeth really takes us on a journey. And what I love about today's episode is we don't just take the journey for those who need emotional self-care, we even take the journey for those who maybe visit that space so much that it's all too familiar. And some of you out there know that's you and you know that you're really good at playing with and delving into emotions, but that you actually need to see the light again. So today I have that light in the darkness for you guys. And for those who need to visit that deep space, we're going to do that together today with Elizabeth. And we're going to leave you with some tips for your marriage. So I have my candle here and I am so excited. I've been actually burning this candle down to the nubs, better things. Candle company has these beautiful candles and they say light in the dark places. So I love Claire's candles. She is coming back into her store this week and I'm telling you, I'm going to be her first customer back and in a perfect serendipitous moment. She's a four also. Also in other matters of serendipity, one of the teen's I mentor sometimes just one of my daughter's friends whom I love. She is so dear. She gave me the Alabaster Company, the Book of Esther. It is so exquisitely and creatively crafted with pictures, almost a magazine layout. And I was just reading the introduction today for some spiritual self-care. It's a curious story in the Bible where God goes unmentioned but is clearly at work. So I love how it says here, perhaps Esther is an invitation to all humanity to watch and to listen with curiosity and attentiveness for the implicit workings of God in serendipitous moments. And I think that's kind of what we're going for today as we talk about the deep emotions with Elizabeth, because a lot of the things that bring us to the depths are not the things we would choose at all but they're the most beautiful, biggest things we might contribute or get to do in life because we've walked through the dark spaces and we've understood that we can even sometimes get stuck there or need to stay a while. So we're going to talk about that, but I'm here with you. Elizabeth's here with you. So we are going to help you to do this. And so get ready. I will make two or three quick announcements to let you know. I also have a pre-Valentine's marriage conference for you guys for Enneagram and Marriage that's free coming up on February 8th. It's a Tuesday night, so you can hang with me and Jen and others. And I have an event bright registration for you inside of the show notes. So make sure you grab that or you can go to enneagramandmarriage.com to get that. And then also I have another coaches certification course coming up on February 10th. So if you are interested, if you are interested in that, make sure you also visit enneagramandmarriage.com because you're going to have access to all of the material. There's 350 pages of material. Plus I take you through 12 two-hour courses over Zoom. I extended it a little bit because my first class and I figured out we needed a little bit longer. 
It's also on demand if you don't decide to take it with me live, if you can't, if you're doing something else at that time. So there's coursework, there's essay at the end, there's a great group of people I call the inner circle that we can continue to learn together once per month that I hope you'll end up doing as well. But I just really enjoy my EM peeps. I'm so excited and I'm going to be having more of them on the show this year as well because I love to see all the different ways they're launching out with different niches, niches or niches. My husband and I sometimes debate that. (laughs) So we're going to leave that one right there. Um, I briefly, as for Wes and I, we are really loving our Enneagram and marriage planner time. It was definitely vulnerable to get into it together. But now that I'm in, I like it. And I even offered to pray with us at the end of our time together this last time, which was very vulnerable for me. And I really uh, don't mind doing that with my clients, but sometimes it's hard for me to do the emotions in my closest of spaces. So it was really fun to be able to uh, just see us getting closer as we do our planner. And I also, as I said last week, I don't know how that's going to go all year. I'm not going to overly plan it, but it it was a, a planner made with flexibility in mind. So I hope if you're doing the journey with me that you are enjoying it. And what I'm going to say now kind of marries our topic today of emotions and body care, which is basically where we're heading in the planner. And There's a really good app for women that tracks not only your emotional just journey through the month, the four-week cycle, but also your recommended workouts and nutrition. So I'll tell you a little bit more about that on next week's podcast, but if you're desperate or you think your wife might be desperate and you're listening, it's the app is called Fit or woman, and I will also put that in the show notes, F-I-T-R, woman, and it's free. So that's a good place for you guys to go if you're like, I, I think hormones might be getting in the way of our marriage emotionally or bodily. So I hope you feel really encouraged and ready to dive in with Elizabeth. I know I am so excited to dive in with her. And so as I bring her on, I just want to say you might know Elizabeth without knowing her if you've ever been on Instagram and seen any of the personality type and I know it accounts like four-ish and I know it or three-ish and I know it. Elizabeth not only runs the Enneagram Life account, She also dreamed up all of those accounts as well and has different people of each type running those. So I'm super thankful for her and her prolific work really of of getting people to understand the types from the types perspectives in a in a somewhat of a structured way. And then she also has a coaching program and she also has 10 books, you guys, and she is still writing. So she is just a complete rock star. As you know, fours go into their contemplative place and she is able to emotionally understand and get inside of each of the types and has a 60 day devotional for each of the types in addition to raising her children and having her marriage with her husband, Peter. So I'm so grateful we get to hear from her today, not only about her life, her marriage, her story, her one four glow pairing, but we also get to hear from Elizabeth about how you guys, like I said, those of you who are great at emotional work, as well as those who just feel like emotions are so hard to dig into, she has something for you too. So, so thankful. Let's talk to her. Elizabeth, I'm so happy to have you here. Yes. Thank you, Krista. It's so good to meet you. I mean, I've been following you for so long. You too. We really followed each other's work with joy, but isn't it nice to just sit down and put a face to all of it? 
Oh, I know. It's been one of my biggest joys with Instagram is to like actually meet people on the phone or over Zoom. Like it just really restores my faith in humanity sometimes to be able to meet (laughs) such good people. Me too. And through the pandemic, when you and I really got going on our accounts, it was really nice to meet people this other way. But then like you're saying, to be able to see these are authentic, real relationships. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's really unique and really cool. Yay. Well, I'm so excited. And before you came on, we shared about just your amazing books and I know you have more coming. So we're going to hear all about that at the end of the episode today with you, but I hope you would share some of your marriage story with us today. Would that be okay? Oh, absolutely. Wonderful. Okay. Well, tell us about you and your hubby and your types and how you met. Yes. So, um, my husband's name is Peter. He is an Enneagram one wing nine and I am an Enneagram four wing five and how we met. I always kind of tell people we're high school sweethearts, but that's not necessarily true. We both were homeschooled. And so we did not meet in high school, but we both met when we were 17. We went to the same church together, but it was a really big church. And so we didn't actually meet each other until we both started interning for that church when we were um, in high school age. And it took me a month or two. I always knew I was attracted to him, but I felt weird because I had no idea how old he was. Like I knew he was around my age, but that's a big deal when you're 17, 18, like maybe he's 16, like that would be crazy. And so once I got access to our church's computer system through things I was doing, I went and looked up his birthday. With your um, five wing? With, yes. And I found out that he was five months younger than me. And I was like, okay, well, this is not going to work. So I'm going to shut down this tiny crush I have on it. Um, Well, that lasted for like two months. And (laughs) I think one of my first thoughts about him was he's very attractive, but he's kind of boring. Mm -hmm. And we ended up going to this birthday party together. And he um, actually plugged in his iPod and started like playing songs and dancing. And like, I basically saw him go to seven, (laughs) like, wow, um, very energetic and fun and playful. And I was gone at that point. Like I was so deep (laughs) in a crush on him. And then hence went on the the longest six months of my life, (laughs) (laughs) having such a deep crush on him. And he did not look my direction once. Um, I think he thought I was a much older woman. He was in college and I was working. I was a hairstylist at the time and working at the, mm-hmm. for the church. Mm-hmm. I owned my own car. I was very much farther along in life than he was. Yeah. And so I think he thought I was like so much older. <laughs> and um, so we um, kind of started to develop a friendship. I was so stressed and tentative the whole time, like trying to talk to him. And we ended up starting texting. And once we started, we didn't stop for like two weeks. We were constantly texting, staying up till 4 a.m. And all of a sudden it stopped. Like he stopped replying. And of course my heart is broken. Like, I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like, I guess, I guess that was it. (laughs) Yeah. I was so sad. And, And like three days later, he says, I need to talk to you. Can, can I talk to you before you go to work? And I was like, okay. And he's like, it's nothing bad. And I'm like, well, according to you, I don't know what you're going to say. I was so sure he was going to be like, I know you have a crush on me and like, we need to stop talking because you're like weirding me out. Yeah. That's what I was so sure he was going to say. And (laughs) instead we met by this bench and he was like so quiet and like shaky. And all he said was, I realized I'm in love with you. And I think I'm eventually going to marry you. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He's like, do you have anything to say? And I was like, 
well, well, I've had a crush on you for a long time. And this is very good news to me. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that was it. We were 19, oh, almost 19 when that happened. We were together for seven months before we got engaged. And we were together for seven months until we got married after we got engaged. And so we are almost about to celebrate seven years of marriage. To oh, love, it. love all these sevens. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All these sevens. Uh, in um, yeah. And we have, we have two kids now. We have a three-year-old son and a one-year-old daughter. And we just bought our second house together. And yeah, it's, it's really great. I, I thank God all the time that he didn't only give me the boy that I wanted. Like I had a huge crush on Peter, but he gave me the husband mm-hmm. I needed because mm-hmm. we have definitely iron sharpened iron in, in our personalities and in our relationship. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh my goodness. And we're going to get into that a little bit today as far as personalities, but I love your relationship story. That is one of the most beautiful stories I've ever heard. Just each story has its own beauty, of course, but that is just, I had my jaw dropped open as you saw. (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like so cute that you loved him, that he thought you were an older woman at first. He cuts off and it's like, I'm hanging on pins and needles with you of what is he going to say? Because that was so odd. And I'm sure it was because he wanted to stop and think, is that what he was doing for those three days? Yeah. He was talking to his parents. He was talking to our pastors. He was so alarmed by the feelings he realized he had because both of his older siblings didn't even meet their first boyfriend, girlfriend until they were well into their Mm twenties. And he thought that he was going to go off to college. He was going to do all the stuff, going to like develop a career and then maybe get married. Mm -hmm. And it was like, God stopped him. And it was like, Nope, this is your wife. Like here it is. And he basically had to like rewire his plans and his brain without me, which is interesting. Like he didn't (laughs) even see if I was along for it. Um, But I think one of our pastors told him that he was pretty sure I had a crush on him. Um, Yeah. And so those three days he was doing a lot of work and he was, um, he was talking to a lot of people and very stressed and trying to figure it out. His mom always says, Peter was like a girl. Like he wasn't eating. He wasn't sleeping. He was oh. like so stressed. Um, she's like, I think Peter's in love. Like what is happening? Um, yeah, but I'm so grateful as someone who's past oriented and someone who's a romantic that God gave yeah. me such a cute story. Like that's so, mm-hmm. so precious. And yeah, I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. I love that. And I don't know anyone who is more fun to watch being romantic than a four because just the thought of how romantic you guys are when you find somebody having a four teenager. I've even noticed since she was a baby when she liked another baby, like a toddler, I can still remember the eyes just told everything. So I just know that your eyes were probably so star crossed and everyone was like, oh, she's in love. (laughs) Yeah, no, because especially because we were both um, interns at our church and very much like in the public eye, like when we got together, we had people walk by us all the time. They're like, oh, young love. Like it was partially annoying at the time and a little embarrassing. But I now I'm just like, oh, my gosh, we probably were so cute. (laughs) You were so so infatuated with each other. And yeah, yes. And you're like four wing five wants to be like, no, it was not like that. I played it cool. And it's like, no, you were so romantic. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, the pastor who definitely knew I had a crush on Peter um, told me later on, he played it cool, like the whole time he's an Enneagram eight. Um, but he had told me eventually, he's like, you would just be, we would be having a meeting and you would be working on something like on your computer. And then Peter would start talking and your head would pop up. Exactly. And, at him. and then you'd go back to what you're doing. And anytime Peter would talk, you'd just like <laughs> stop and stare at him. And I'm like, man, okay. I did not know I was doing that, but apparently, yes. apparently I was. You guys are so obvious when you're in love because you're like, yeah, like your gaze, just your, your texture, everything you're taking in with textures and um, just taking it in slowly. And so when somebody else is watching that, we can see what you're doing, but it's, it's like a good see. Like, I love that you guys let us see this is what true idealistic and impassioned love looks like it looks, it gazes, it adores. And so I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I know we have some people actually listening that are the one for pairing. So before we get started on just our bigger topic about emotions and the Enneagram, tell us a little bit about the one for pairing. And we've talked a little bit, you and I, before this about some of the nuances, but just tell us what you think would be helpful about that one for ideal expressions glow. Yeah. No, it's definitely um, a really cool mixture, but also really intense. I think that (sighs) idealistic um, nature makes us both um, really intense, especially in our decision making. Like I am so, I like, I'm intuitive and I think a lot and he is so thoughtful and wants to make the right decision. And so when things happen, when there's decisions to be made, we both are, I think we come off as very intense. Um, I think our realtor would tell, tell you that. Um, (laughs) Um, and it's so funny because we do work so well together in the way that we are opposites. Like, I think I make our house a very fun, creative, expressive place to be that feels very safe. And he makes that expression not feel chaotic. He brings order to it. Mm. And that has been so cool to watch. And he has taught me a lot of things about how to be orderly. And that's helped me in the long run. Um, yeah, but when we both have different ideals and when he's raining on my parade of like something I want to happen, or I have an ideal about it, I think it was especially devastating in the beginning of our relationship. Cause I think I thought that he didn't believe in me or he didn't, he thought that I was overreacting to th- all these like things, but learning more about him and especially Enneagram ones, I'm like, no, he's trying to protect me from disappointment. I think first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a really interesting pairing. I, I think I have told him before that I don't think we would be friends if we were not in love. <laughs> because yeah. I think that love covers a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so too. I, yeah. And I've also learned that he cannot be my boss in like a boss mm-hmm. function. Like if we are serving at church, he can't be the one to order me around because I do not like it. It's not good for our relationship. And mm-hmm. we've had to learn that too and yeah as long as we are very much equals and we are partnering together in mm-hmm. our mission in our family and what we're doing together uh, yeah it's really beautiful that is a really cool way you said that too with two idealists you're going to need some space to be able to make some of your work decisions and creative decisions knowing you're both children of God with your own creativity and so for you to be able to say gosh my emotions and reactivity bring me to different places sometimes than his care and logic and kind of troubleshooting that, you know, he does for you. It's okay sometimes to say, well, 
there, there is a way to do both of our lives if we're not on top of each other in the work world. Um, and I think a lot of couples, even most couples are with both of us there in that way that we don't work always with our husbands. And then I think there's some, as you know, who are like, no, our wheelhouse is that we need to fuel each other on fully in every capacity. So I love that you figured that out because when you have a marriage like most where we've picked each other for opposing instincts and new things that we're going to bring to the next generation to have little breaks, to say, this is hard work. We're changing a family system for the better long run, but we need to take a cool down break. We need to go off to our work and then come back together. Does that help when you guys do that? When you take little breaks together, since I know you are a withdrawing type and I know ones also need a bit of time to cool down sometimes. Yeah, I think um, when we first got married, I felt really overwhelmed because I think I felt this responsibility to be with him constantly. Because I mean, that's what your relationship is like before you get married. Yeah. Um, you're, when you're together, you're together. And yeah. I found that to be really intense and kind of draining. Like I um, very quickly realized I needed my own things. Yes. And I think at first I was like, oh my gosh, that means I don't love him as much as I thought I did. Like if I can't constantly be with him, but realizing like, no, we just have very different things and I need a creative outlet that he has nothing to do with. And he needs Mm -hmm. things that he could do that have nothing to do with me. And we have definitely found those things. Like um, my husband is a musician and I I am not at all. (laughs) And so he Mm -hmm. plays music and he also like does video games. I don't touch either of those worlds. Mm-hmm. And I um like I do writing, I do sewing, I do a lot of thrifting and um, fashion stuff. And he has nothing to do with any of that. We both are each other's biggest cheerleaders in those things. Yeah. But we know we don't have any input <laughs> or yes. we don't need to be together when we're doing those <laughs> things. And I think that has really helped. Mm. I can really understand and relate with that a lot. So I, I get that. And because we're in an idealist marriage as well, the one in the seven. So yeah. I really think that's a neat way for people to wonder how do we do our dance? Cause every dance is going to look different. And so this is neat that you guys are at seven years in, you already know this and you could have said as I could have, and everyone listening could have said, and maybe some of them did say it, we're not going to do this together. And instead you're like, you were interested in the Enneagram, you have your faith and you found ways to make things work, even when they seemed insurmountable. And I love that as a four, because when I hear from fours in my work, a lot of the time marriages, a lot of fours are wondering, can I do it if they don't meet all my ideals? And you're saying, yeah, but you have to remember not to be codependent in the heart triad and you have to be able to do some things on your own. And that's not how it is at the beginning with the four being infatuated because you're thinking, oh, we'll do it all together. It'll be perfect. Right? Yeah. I mean, fours get high on being understood. And I think that that can be an assumption that he's going to want to do everything with you and is going to have as much passion for the things you have passion for as you do. And I talk to fours a lot because I lead a page just for fours. And um, I talk to them about, they say, how can I make my spouse understand me? And I was like, you need to give that up because Mm -hmm. being understood does not equal being loved. Someone can love you and not fully understand you. Like my husband's beginning to be able to predict me, (laughs) but that doesn't mean he fully is like, oh yeah, I would totally do that too. I completely understand where you come from. He doesn't, but that doesn't mean he doesn't love me or isn't choosing to love that part of me. He doesn't understand it, but he still fully adores me Mm -hmm. and I have to find solace in that. Um, and kind of bomb that understanding wound (laughs) like, oh, he doesn't understand me, but that's okay. 
he still loves me and he can still love me despite that. Right. And that was a beautiful way of saying it. And I know we've talked about how, when Brittany of Enneagram explained was on, she said that we all care, but we just care differently. And I really hear that with your one hubby, that understanding is not what we say when we say ones are at their best and then doing their loving. So the fact that he cannot understand every little nuance and still adore you is the celebration is knowing, oh my gosh, but he gives me other things. And as a four, I take time to understand myself. So it keeps it fresh. I love that. It keeps it fresh that our spouses are not exactly like us. Don't you? Yeah, definitely. Even though I mourn it with you and trust me, I mourn (laughs) it with you because I have a four in my tri-type. So I like literally take time daily to mourn as well. But I want to talk a little deeper with you now about just in terms of emotional care for the heart. I want to ask you about our audience is going through a whole month on self-care and we're really trying to remember that although the culture tells us self-care is all body work. We're just really wanting to pour in this week to heart work and there's nobody better to help us than a four wing five here. So can you give us some tips or even just some sharing about how you've walked through some issues of the heart and how we can process our stuff? Yeah, definitely. Um, I always say that, I mean, fours are in the heart triad, but they are the only member of the heart triad that receives information through the heart and then processes it it through the heart (laughs) Um, because threes tend to go straight ahead twos tend to go straight to action and fours just ruminate there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when I am processing deep and hard things, it's Mm -hmm. been so helpful for me to continue to ask myself questions, um, to be curious about my pain. Cause I think initially when there is pain or there's something to process that feels hard, I think, um, one of our basic instincts is to push it away. Um, Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that our parents have done with their pain. And usually when we're children, they're like, just push it away. Don't think about it. Like that's how we cry. Yeah. Don't cry. Um, don't have a bad emotion. What are you talking about? And Mm -hmm. as for as I always say that everything hits the windshield, we don't really have an option of pushing things away and it's not fun. I can tell you that (laughs) not being able to not push things away is not fun, but I think any counselor or therapist would tell you that it's the healthiest way to operate and how to process. Mm -hmm. And so really taking care of yourself when you are going through that doesn't look like what your instinct of pushing things away might assume. I think Mm -hmm. not necessarily ruminating or giving your emotion like uh, this, the throne in your life, but asking it questions, being curious of why that pain is there being like, um, so if I react to something and I'm feeling shame because I had a big reaction, mm-hmm. um, being like, wow, that hit a nerve. Yeah. What is that nerve? What does that go back to? Why am I feeling this way? Why am I so touchy about this? Why did I react so big? My body is trying to protect me. My emotions are saying something like what's happening. And usually it goes so deep and it's such a a helpful thing for shame when I can actually follow the source instead of just shaming my reaction. I can take Mm -hmm. grace and go back and be like, Oh, okay. There's this little girl here that's still Mm -hmm. here that Mm -hmm. is hurt about something. And that thing that happened hit that and I reacted. And um, instead of shaming the reaction, we need to go and bomb the bomb the hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but I first learned about the Enneagram in a very tumultuous time of my life. I had actually, so within a month, 
I miscarried my first baby. Mm-hmm. We left the church that we had met at and I had a confrontation with an abusive um, family member that has wow. broken that relationship for good. It wow. all happened within a month. And that oh, is gosh. also when I discovered that Negrin. And I think that was God's full protection <laughs> of me. Cause when your world is chaotic, mm-hmm. um, one of the last things you need is to be questioning why you're reacting, why you're reacting and to feel shame over how you are being. And mm-hmm. so um, learning that I was Enneagram for just put such good language to how, why I was reacting the way I was. Cause I think, especially with having the miscarriage, I think a lot of people told me like, you need to stop dwelling on the negative. You need to uh, move on. You need to have hope. And I was like, but this sadness, this deep sadness needs to be honored. Yeah. Like my whole body is crying out to honor this baby. Mm-hmm. And you're telling me that that's wrong. And realizing that um, that is a gift that I have yeah. that not everyone has. And even if that makes some people uncomfortable in the moment, that it's still a gift and it's still honoring life and the sanctity of life. And that that was ultimately a good thing. I don't know if I would have fully known that if I didn't know about the Enneagram at that time. Wow. So just realizing that you're a four at that same time as walking through that pregnancy loss, you were able to say, this is okay. I'm not going to push it away all the time. And even most of the time you can't, if you're a four, as you said, it's going to hit the windshield anyway, but just to not have to then go into that five space of, okay, I am feeling incompetent in this. Why can't I get through it? Or I'm in the four space and, you know, maybe I'm, I'm really rejecting myself and hating myself instead of going to those places, which I think a lot of people who don't know about the Enneagram might just go right into that shame or hate space is, you know what? Like I'm worthy. I'm acceptable. This is actually healthy. Was that somewhat of a relief through such a hard time? Oh yes, definitely. I think where I would have gone without the Enneagram was I must be crazy. Mm-hmm. Even how I'm grieving is wrong. There's something wrong with me. And that would have just cemented even more that, that dreading feeling that there's just something wrong with me, that I'm fatally flawed. And realizing that that's an assumption I have that's not correct. Um, and that actually how I was processing was healthy. Like, I love the, the phrase, like, you can't grieve wrong. Like, mm-hmm. I don't believe anyone can grieve wrong. So that doesn't mean that everyone needs to grieve like how I was, but that also means I wasn't doing it wrong. And that mm-hmm. how I was reacting made a lot of sense, given that I was an Enneagram 4. was yes. super helpful. Wow. I'm so glad God gave you that right then to minister to your soul. When uh, my friend was just talking to me yesterday about having a season of breast cancer and she was talking about how God deeply ministered to her and she was crying as she shared the story. And it was just beautiful to remember that even when we're mad at God or not feeling God or wondering where God is, when you feel this little special touch of being seen and being loved upon by God, it's, it's such a comfort that you're almost just, you know, you wouldn't want the season back, but you also see God in that season. So I'm really sorry that happened to you. And I'm, I'm also really glad that God ministered to you so much. Yeah. Thank you. I definitely think some of the hardest moments in our life give us such a great heart towards the people that go through a similar thing. And, um, I'm very grateful 
that I know that pain as yeah. as odd as that sounds like obviously I wouldn't want it to happen again I would much prefer to have my baby but yes. um, that I know that pain and that people so many women obviously go through that that I can sit there and be like yeah I know exactly what that feels like and mm-hmm. it's not going to feel better today like you're going to have to keep walking walking it and yeah, I have um, little care packages that I make for women that uh, have miscarried just because I know my love language is gifts. And so I know how much someone seeing you like that means. And obviously yeah. you hear about miscarriages all the time. And yeah. so like just putting in like a little watercolor and just like a note and just being like someone else cares about what happened to you and cares about your baby. I know that would have meant so much to me. Yeah. And so it's definitely something that I carry even, what is it like five years later, four years later? Hmm. Wow. And I have stories like that too. I bet everyone listening does when they remember that they thought so-and-so was their friend and it doesn't mean they weren't earlier. We said today, people care differently, but, but just to have those people who can walk through the desert season of your life with you and they don't leave because they're, they're, even if they are freaked out, they're like, I'm, I'm right here. There's nothing like that to bring safety and comfort to a person in mourning. And I'm really glad that you do that for others because I know you're saying, gosh, that would have ministered to you so much, but we're glad the Enneagram was there to at least be part of the thought processing. And it sounds like I know you're prolific ministry. Now you're doing that with a lot of people. You're really caring um, and helping them to embalm, leading that four group, writing your books to, to say, this is a time and a space when you get to sit here and it isn't all bad. You can't stay forever because you, your one husband and others will say, you've got it at some point do the work of moving on as well. And that's our work as a four, but but I think that if you don't do what you just did, what do you think happens to people? Because I know a lot of people just try to rush past it. Yeah. I mean, I always tell people that um, like the grief goes somewhere. <laughs> it may not be in the forefront, but it goes somewhere. And when you shove things down, things come out sideways. And we see that with passive aggression. We see it with acting out in different negative coping skills. And ultimately, I think it hurts yourself. I think it hurts your body. And I think it hurts your relationships when you don't do the hard work of processing things. And yeah, I mean, I know I've had that impact in my life with people in my life that haven't dealt with their trauma and their hurt. Um, and yeah, it's, it's such a painful thing to go through, but it's definitely worth it in the long run. Yeah. And you're really reminding everyone listening that it's worth it to do this kind of new year's resolution, or if you're listening later in the year and just saying, Hey, I'm feelings repressed or I'm not feelings repressed, but I happen to do them really quickly. Or I only take care of others feelings. There's so many ways we can avoid feelings. So I guess I just want to really remind our listeners that we're hearing from Elizabeth that we really need to do this stopping in the feelings, as well as then trying to be curious about them and ask ourselves some questions around them to find out what are the triggers. And then once we get to those triggers, aha, what do you recommend people do at that point? I think that it can be very important to share what you're learning about yourself. And I know that obviously, depending on your income type and your comfort level and the people in your life, I think some people have those people to go to and share. And if that is you, I think that's super helpful. And if that's not you, I would recommend solitude and journaling, like having that getting to know yourself time. 
and I think we all process differently like that. Some of us are verbal processors. We need to speak it. We need to talk to someone. And some of us are internal processors and we just need to kind of untangle that mess ourselves and with ourselves. And so, yeah, depending on where your strength is, I mean, if you have no idea, I would try both and see what feels better. But yeah, depending on who you are, I think that is a really good grace-filled way to meet that pain where it is. Wow. I love what you said there. And it reminds me that when we have shame to process and we're wondering our worth, some would go straight to God and just figure it out there. I, a lot of the time like to do that into the processing with a friend, if I'm feeling really shamed. And I know that was the biggest piece for me in grad school was sharing my shame story, having others cry with me, walk with me, validate me, and then move on uh, without it, which was amazing. But whether you do that with friends or not, I think for some of us, the second piece after that is, okay, I, I talked it out with somebody I was valued. I was validated. Now I'm still hurting because I'm still wounded. So that's when I tend to go to God and really need that time by the fire with God and just resting and lamenting and maybe even crying. Are you similar or do you kind of verbally process more or on your own altogether instead of how I am where I do both? Yeah, I think that um, being a social form, I would say um, I have been very touched by community and by people seeing me in my pain, because I think that it can, it's very natural for fours to do that internal work, like being withdrawn, like being very in it by yourself and feeding that I'm lonely and no one cares. And there's something wrong with me monster within that. And so bringing things to the light and bringing it around people, I think has been the most helpful thing for me. Um, KJ Ramsey, who is a fellow for, she wrote a book called this too shall last. And she has a whole chapter in that book about, um, community and communion and how God gave us the holy sacrament of community and communion with other believers and how, um, through those other believers, he mourns with you and he touches you. And like, that's definitely something I have felt as a four and something that I think has been really healing. Mm. That was beautifully said. Thank you. Because I know our fours are listening with just joy to hear somebody validate and value that they are often stuck in it and they're contemplating all the time and, and they're melancholy and they get attached to it. And so for them to hear there is hope and you're going to find it with other souls that are broken too, so that you do know you're not alone in this from the care packages two times taking communion. They take their communion around in a circle so that they can truly be with one another and, and remember the sacraments. And however you meet with people, I think that what's important is that you're meeting with people who know that there's brokenness, that they care about you, whatever you look like, whatever you're going through, that they, they know that they're not perfect, but they love you. And they're not all about rank. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think any four listening has been hurt by opening up to the wrong person. And I think that can make us jaded towards all people in general, because the world doesn't speak our language Mm -hmm. in general. And so the, the feedback and the advice that people learn to give that they think is helpful, it does not tend to be helpful for force. And so I think it can take a lot of work to find your people and to find those safe people. But when force find them, they are incredibly loyal people yeah. when they find their safe people. Yeah. And um, I know that a lot of fours are lonely and haven't found those people yet. Um, but I would yeah encourage you to, to keep, keep trusting, keep opening yourself up. 
it's a hard work, but you learn a lot through it. And ultimately, I hope that you learn that there are good people that want to walk with you and that aren't going to shame you or try to fix you in your pain. Yeah. And that we all have good moments and bad moments too. So that whether you're a four or not, just remember that sometimes it's going to be this friend or this, even your spouse to walk with you through a different moment of the journey. And then the next week or the next time somebody else, when I had a really big crisis, I had about 10 friends on speed dial metaphorically. That's not how we use it, but you know what I mean? And I really needed them. And now I have two or three that I would probably really need. And I know there'll be other seasons that are different. So I, I know we want to be that for our people and we want to have people like that for us, but, but just remember that people carry your pain at different moments for you so that we don't overwhelm one person. Um, and then there are going to be maybe a few lifers, like my best friend, she wouldn't mind. She would be there no matter what. So I hope that you have people like that too listening. And I hope you do too, Elizabeth. No, it's definitely something to learn as a four. I've had to tell myself a lot for such a time as this, that it is okay if God gives you certain people for certain times yes, and gives you a certain community for a certain time. I think fours can get stuck on this um, ideal of permanence mm-hmm. sometimes that if relationships are not permanent or a deep friendship slowly slips into acquaintance, I think we really feel like we did something wrong. And I think there's a lot of bitterness that can happen there and a lot of hurt that can happen there. And I think I, yeah, I've had a, I've had to um, remind myself a lot for such a time as this. I had a very dear friend when I was going through a miscarriage that also was going through a miscarriage and she has since moved away. And I think it was really beautiful for me to like step back and be like, wow, God gave her to me in such a perfect timing. It didn't need to be forever for it to be such kindness and grace in that time. Yeah. That was huge growth for you in your foreness. Cause you could have said, I'm going to like, it was beautiful and now it's tragic. And instead you said, well, there is some tragedy still to this. I miss her and I miss that time, but I'm also glad we've walked through that season and we just have different landscapes for where we're at today. And I think some of us fight that I used to be very highly social seven and I used to fight it and get way too many friends. And then I realized I couldn't do that unless I was in one of those moments where I am going to, I felt like I needed 10 people at one point because I feel bad. I'm supposed to bring joy as a seven, right? I'm putting little quotations up, but I was like, I'm not going to give anybody a lot. So I'm going to give 10 people a little bit. (laughs) So, so that was how I handled it that season. But I think that I needed that. And I think those listening, whether you're doing your heart work, like I was, or like Elizabeth's doing, finding your route in this moment is probably even going to look different from how it looked for me, for you, um, a little while ago. So I love your tips for this, Elizabeth. And I just lastly on that topic, I think you've pretty well covered it, but do you have anything more to say about how, if we're getting really stuck and this happens to me where you get stuck on something and you just want to keep mourning and lamenting it, you're waxing poetic and you're like, but I have to move on. I'm not productive. Do you have any tips for that moment? Yes. So what I tell the fours that I coach all the time is that um, what happens, I call it an emotional spiral. And it's where there's this problem or there's this thing I'm like holding out a finger. And as you think about it and emote about it, it's getting closer and closer and closer to all of a sudden all you can see is that. And you lose all objectivity. Mm -hmm. And in those moments, the hardest thing to do is to gain objectivity and to walk away. 
that's the hardest thing you feel like you're betraying yourself. It's the last thing you want to do, but finding what helps you gain objectivity for me, it can even be just going to the grocery store. Yeah. Like stop sitting on the couch. Stop just thinking about this. Go do something, go for a walk, go to the grocery store, listen to music, do something that distracts your brain. Tell yourself it's for five minutes. Give yourself a five minute break. It'll be longer than that. And you'll come back to it. It's like, it's the same thing as like going to sleep on a problem and you wake up and also it feels different. That's yeah. what happens when you take a break from what you're emoting about and you come back and you're like, oh, actually, when I see this in the landscape, it doesn't look like that big of a deal. I'm not dying. Things mm-hmm. are okay. And t- training yourself to do that. Like it's, it's a training method, especially for Enneagram fours is um, you have to teach yourself that you can do that. And you can do it over and over again until you gain more and more activity. And obviously some problems are never going to go away and there's no solution, but giving yourself breaks from it is a very kind thing, especially getting into your body as a four. Yes. And I love that you're reminding us of this because I usually share it with my audience as my refresh prayer cycle of lamenting and then gratitude and then planning. But what we're also adding here is there's a different route. That's just the route I tend to use. And I love your route of let's remember that fours can get locked in, that they're withdrawing, that they're contemplative. So when they just, as we know, get into action, it might be a lament action. I also love how you're saying, take a break from it. Whereas we usually say, allow yourself time in it. And that's kind of where we started in this episode to our four audiences or others with a four in their tri-type or an arrow. We're saying, take a break from it. (laughs) You're always there. So you're not being disloyal. You can tell yourself like, I love you. I actually love you enough to give you a break from this, but I will be back. Don't worry. I'll be back. I won't forget you. Uh, Whatever your strengths are is never going to be a weakness. Sometimes I think we, we are afraid that if we don't fully give into the strength and we grow in a balance that all of a sudden the strength is going to become a weakness and it's never going to become a weakness. Your strength is your strength. And if you balance, it doesn't mean that this becomes weaker. It just means you're balancing and you're becoming more effective as a person. And I think that's something because fours are all about identity. We don't want to lose our identity. We want to be this emotional person. We want these things. And so I, I tell fours, I'm like, even if you take a break, that doesn't mean you're not an emotional person. It doesn't mean that you are not contemplated. It doesn't mean all these things. You are always going to default to that. You always are. This is the work you need to do. So stop, stop grabbing onto this, this, I need to be emotive and I need to stay here because you will, you'll return. We know you'll return. Just give yourself a break. It's okay. Oh man, that's good stuff. Just to hear that your strength will always be your strength, but it's these other areas that bring you balance. Wow. And I also want to say this goes really well with my final question to you about stances, because you mentioned earlier that you're withdrawing. I know your husband's present, but you know, there's some of us who are present focused, some of us who are past focused and withdrawing. And then some of us who are just always in the future, always on the go. Can you tell us anything for people who differ in their marriage? Uh, maybe something that's helped you or your audience with just being a little bit different from each other in these ways. Yeah. I mean, I, I obviously think the first step is being aware of the difference is such a yeah. huge step because, yes. um, I would always tell my husband, do you remember like this? And he's like, no. And I'm like, you don't care then. Like that's where my, where my heart would go because it's yes. so easy for me to be back in that moment and be past oriented. And he is so focused on what's happening right now. Um, and then also with future planning, cause of course I want to plan well for the future. Cause that eventually will be a memory. And you know, there's this whole thing. And so being different, 
learning about those differences is really, really key. But then living with those differences um, can be can be sharpening or they can be grading. And I think you have to lean into um, that your way is not the right way. Like however it is you process or wherever it is. I mean, obviously the goal for everything is balance. Right. So that means that you and your spouse have a piece and you guys can learn from each other. And you guys also need to help each other grasp onto the one that is not you, mm-hmm. not either of you. Um, and so when my husband is being present and he is really good at focusing and he's really task oriented and I want to ruminate on something or go back or I'm fearful because something has happened in the past and I'm afraid it's going to happen again or whatever it is, um, helping him, having him help me ground myself Mm-hmm. Um, has been really helpful. Just getting his perspective on like what's happening right now. What's the next step? What's happening right now? He can really help me with that. And then also I have really helped him to be like, okay, this seems like this hit a nerve. Like what has happened in the past that is impacting you now? Because things in the past do impact you now and it's not making you as effective as you wish to be um, mm-hmm. and helping him go back. And also like, I think in marriage, that's always the first thing I ask whenever I have a couple that I am coaching is what attracted you to each other in the beginning, because those things are still here. Um, They become quieter and annoying things become louder, but um, they're still here. And so I think going back to those, like what initially attracted us to each other, like what are the things that I adore about you? And I bring my husband back there all the time (laughs) because I think it's really healthy. I think it's really healthy to remember those things that you absolutely adore about each other are still there and it requires going back a lot of times to find those especially in hard moments when you get in the muck of parenting and work and bills and house stuff um going back to the innocence and the beauty of like beginning love I think is so helpful for your marriage oh wow that is a beautiful and unique perspective that I haven't really even heard and I obviously check in every single time I'm meeting a couple, a lot of my listeners who are my clients might be like, yes, you do that. But, but to ask people to go back again and again, I like that. I don't do that. And I actually love it. That is brilliant. And it's something that living anyone who lives with a four, I know constantly bringing me back constantly, but I do like wrestle with it. I'm it's not, you know, even fours to fours. Like if you had two fours in your families, they're going to be different with what they want to in that moment, idealistically go back to, but to have a four in a marriage, or let's all put on our four for a minute, because we're always trying to be the best of each type. I really like for all of us to remember that that's a beautiful marriage reminder is just going back to the good old days when everything was simple and not just going back to be wistful, but going back to really enjoy the memory, right? That's what you're saying. Yeah. And not going back to be, I can't believe you don't do this anymore. <laughs> right. Or like that kind of thing. Cause I think that can happen too. Yeah. And I think that our, um, our default is to think that that's not going to change anything. Like if you're having problems in the present and you want a change for the future, you don't think going back is going to help, but there is something emotionally that happens to you when you remember who you fell in love with. And you can look in the eyes of the person you're looking in right now and realize that they're still there. Like there's just something that happens emotionally to you that I think gives you such fuel for going forward. Like it's just so helpful. It really is. We've both had that where my husband was once flirted with and somebody asked him a past story and he was like, and then I had to talk about you. And then I have it to where when I am 
thinking about back when we got together, because I told my husband, we're so different. We're so opposite. And I remember what got me was his caring heart. And then it's just like right there. You're like, okay, but he's so caring. And so yes, go back there with us listeners. And then, um, also make sure that you're taking Elizabeth's advice to go past, present, future with each other. So that you're, if, if you're past oriented, if you're present oriented, or if you happen to be future oriented, you guys are talking that out. You guys have a lot of my freebies on this. You have my glow planner. This is a big focus of this work. You have Elizabeth's opportunity to get her books. And I want to talk to you about that now, Elizabeth, because you have so much and such incredible depths in each of your books. So will you tell us about where our listeners can find you on Instagram, your books and elsewhere? Yes. So um, my Instagram page is called Enneagram.life. And then we also have a micro community page for each number. And so mine that I lead is called a fourish dash and I know it and you'll find one for each type like there's eight ish and I know it six ish and I know it um those kind of things um and then those are so cute I love those pages they're just all good I love to follow them I know and they're each led by someone of that type so it's really um a really cool community um and then my books you can find through my Instagram like obviously like the link in bio you'll be able to find my books but I have um right now I have 10 books I have nine devotionals one for each type and um and then I have a study guide so you can actually be in a group and everyone can buy their own devotional and then the study guide will lead you guys through linking them all together to be able to have deeper community and conversation together um, but the devotionals they were such a labor of love and um, I have <laughs> such a heart for coaching I love coaching. And so I really do feel like my books are 60 micro coaching sessions, just talking about your strengths and your weaknesses where God meets you there. And then specifically your stress and your growth paths. And yeah, they are so cool. And I absolutely love that in each different book, they feel, they all feel so different. And that was huge for me. I really wanted them to feel like that number. That's a gift to be able to have a four writing books and to be in those deep feelings of each type. It It's a refreshing and very detailed expression. So thank you for putting yourself. I know it's a sacrifice to put yourself so much into all of these books and communities, but I know everyone is so blessed. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, they grew me too. I mean, I remember writing the joy section for the sevens and just having to, I wanted to clarify all the time, but sadness is still important, but, but like, this is still important and having to just grapple with God tells us to have joy. Yeah. And that is something within my reach as well. Yes. Through the Holy spirit. And that's something that's important and not, I, I wanted to dismiss it. I so badly wanted to dismiss it because I thought it made my stuff less important, mm-hmm. but having to walk through that and be like, man, it doesn't make my stuff less important. It enhances it. And this is something I need to, I mean, each of these books has something like that, that like I had to grapple with and that grew me. So yeah. Thank you guys for letting me write them and for buying them and reading them. I mean, it's been such a cool work. Oh, I'm so glad. And I just hope everyone listening will get a hold of them because they're, they're truly life-changing and they have a devotional aspect too, where you help people not to just be dependent on themselves for everything and on their spouse, but also God. And there's a release that comes there that is unlike anything else when you are lamenting or even questioning how could anyone else be enjoying life when you're going through a a dark season and just to be able to say, God is going to help me through this. And I do even have access to joy. Like that brings me such life. And it sounds like you're the same way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the one, the one constant, your one, your one constant is God. 
and cultivating that relationship. I mean, ultimately helps everything else as I know everyone knows. Yes. So, oh my gosh. Well, thank you again. I had such a lovely time with you. You are welcome here anytime. Yes. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. What a cool space in our week together, guys, where we could just get emotionally comfortable together, where we could pull out the truth and say what we struggle with. And I hope that you guys will be doing the exact same things at home this week on your own with your family, with your spouse, if you feel safe there and with God, if you feel safe there. So don't forget our Valentine's conference. Don't forget our coaches course. And if you're doing the planner with me, we're moving into body care next. So I hope that you guys will focus in on your heart and then we will talk about that. Have a great week. Please check out Elizabeth Bennett's amazing books and all of her wonderful tools for you guys as well. I'm leaving everything of hers up in the show notes too. I will talk with you guys soon. Have a great week. Love living intentionally with you guys. Bye-bye.